Chapter 17, The Long Trail, June 24th, 1859. Woke to hail big as peas, which later turned to rain. When the rain finally stopped, some of our train, so discouraged by the unfortunate emigrants we had met the day before, turned back. We were now a train of 12. Mrs. Bunderly worsened. Lizzie was grim. June 25th, we rolled on, always looking for water. Reached Fremont Springs, which had some. I suppose the place was named after the man who had first explored this area for the United States. A curious, grotesque thing happened. The children found a dead buffalo. The poor beast was so bloated with decay gas, the children took to jumping on it. The gas-filled carcass served them like a spring, bouncing them high. That went on until the bloat burst and a child fell into the beast's putrid innards. Much glee and disgust. Fortunately, the spring was close. June 26th. We reached the place where the Platte River divided, followed the trail along the north branch, and you eventually get to Salt Lake, California, or Oregon. The South Platte, however, would lead us to Cherry Creek, and so we turned and camped upon its banks. I wondered how close we were, how far we had come. There was nothing about the trail to tell us. No markers, no finger posts, though surely we were on the trail. The wagon ruts told us so, but we could as well have been lost. Mrs. Bunderly, faring most poorly, remained in the wagon. Lizzie tended to her all day. When I saw her, she was sad, but sometimes angry. June 27th, went 20 miles along the river bank. The water was shallow and warm. Lizzie and I did a calculation and determined that it was 46 days since we had left Wyota. She told that to Mr. Bunderly. He reminded us that Noah was afloat for only 40 days and nights. I told Lizzie what Jesse had claimed, that he could have walked to Cherry Creek on his hands backward. Maybe what your brother Adam said is true, she snapped, that Jesse's a fool. He's smart, I insisted. She said nothing, which made me sulk over her remark. There being no wood to burn for our meal, I went with the youngsters to collect buffalo chips. Whenever I left the train, I kept an eye open for Mr. Marr. I would see him watching me. How I worried. Would I be able to free myself of him once we got to Cherry Creek? Surely I'd have to get rid of him before I reached Jesse. Around the fire that night, the men were talking about what it was what it was that made men want gold. All kinds of opinions were offered, but the best was Mr. Bunderley's. He said, gold attracts men because its nature is opposite their own. That's to say, no matter how old gold gets, it keeps its value, is forever malleable, and remains bright. I puzzled that in my mind and determined he meant that as a man gets older, he loses his value, does not change, and grows less wise. Did he mean himself? I resolved that would not be me. June 28th. Went 22 miles past an Indian trading post at Julesburg. Now and again, we have met Indians, the Pawnee and Sioux. They are different peoples and at war with each other. Sometimes they come and ask for food or wish to trade for horses or guns. We try to be accommodating about food. We heard some stories how they have returned lost children to emigrant trains. Still, some of our people mock them, but never to their faces. Others are frightened. 
A few, like Mr. Boxler, our train captain, have tried to learn their different languages, insisting we can only gain by their friendship. For the most part, we keep our distance, like mutually uneasy strangers. June 29th. During the night, Mrs. Bunderley died. Mr. Bunderley was consumed by grief. He blamed himself for his wife's demise, bemoaned over ever leaving Iowa, chastised himself for not heeding her complaints. Lizzie was full of sorrow too, but she had to lay her mother out and insisted she'd do so alone. Then she and her father went out from the trail to dig a grave. Not long after, she came back to me, tearful. My father is too stricken to dig, she told me. I must beg your help. The two of us dug the grave in hard ground. Lizzie's tears did not soften it. Mr. Bunderley, saying he could not watch, left us. Lizzie and I went along the trail until we found an abandoned and broken wagon. We took boards from it and made the crudest coffin. When Mr. Bunderley heard of what we had done, he said, Dear children, learn from this. The most broken wagon can carry one far. We buried Mrs. Bunderley the next day. The whole train was in attendance. Mr. Boxler read from the Bible, the 23rd Psalm. Psalm. Looking about the prairie, I wondered if I would ever see green pastures again. Lizzie sang. Her voice gave me thoughts of Iowa meadowlarks. My homesickness swelled. As I grieved, I recalled Reverend Fobscott's words about a cold coffin in a colder grave. That the day was so hot made no difference. Mr. Boxler urged that we leave the grave unmarked, lest impoverished immigrants in search of valuables dig it up, as he claimed sometimes happened. That night we traveled beneath a full moon so as to avoid the heat. The pale yellow light made the prairie seem even more still. We heard coyotes bark and once an owl gave call. I thought perhaps it was not an owl, but Mrs. Bunderley's unhappy spirit trying to follow us. It made me shiver. At night, before falling asleep beneath the wagon, I wondered, is this journey the hardest thing I'll ever do? I wept some tears. The tears were not for Mrs. Bunderley, but for myself. June 30th. As we went along, the oxen snorting, the wheels creaking, the harness jingling, I could not help but think of the lonely silence of Mrs. Bunderley's unmarked grave, left ever farther behind, never to be visited again. Even if we tried, we would never be able to find it. Lizzie must have been thinking the same kinds of things. Early, she said, I think the heaviest burdens we carry are our unhappy memories. I shall have only one happy memory of this trip. What? You. Early, she whispered, her voice broken. Your kindness is as sweet as cool water. July 1st. The hot dryness made your lips chapped, hands cracked, and brows wrinkled. So we mooned, which is to say we traveled all night to avoid the heat. Above, the ever-present stars seemed infinite in number. Did they, I wondered, see us and think of us as we thought of them, emigrants traveling through the vast emptiness? July 2nd. For much of the night, we went along the river. There was little sound save the heavy breathing of the oxen laboring and the creaking wagons. Once we heard the long, mournful howl of a coyote. Lizzie walked with me, but I respected her sad silence. She being without her usual joy, 
I tried yet again to think what I should do when we reached Cherry Creek, but had to admit, I didn't know what to expect. If I could not find Jesse, I imagined I would need to find my way back to Iowa. I would miss Lizzie. Lizzie must have been thinking these same thoughts, for at one point she turned to me and said, Early, what will become of us? I wanted to say something cheerful, but honesty compelled me to say, I suppose we don't ever know. July 3rd. Though it was a Sunday, it was cooler, so we traveled by day, 20 miles. At one point, Lizzie said to me, Early, I have a confession to make. I'm willing to hear. I loved my mother, but I did not admire her. Why? My mother used her illness to shield herself from the world. That made her weaker. I am bound and determined to be strong. But I fear I didn't pity her enough. It gnaws on me that I wasn't strong enough to be kind. I can't forgive myself. She was hard on you, Lizzie. She grasped my arm. Do you really think so? Truly, you did the best a daughter could. Early, she didn't finish her sentence, but turned and to my astonishment kissed me on the cheek, then ran to the wagon and vanished. I felt my cheek burn, not too unpleasant a sensation. I used to think Jessie was my best friend. Lizzie, well, she really had become my sweetheart. July 4th, the glorious 4th. We traveled 20 miles today. At campfire, Mr. Griffin and Peter, who had not played for a long while, offered Yankee Doodle. Being so weary, our hurrahs were half-hearted. July 5th, no travel, too exhausted. Visited by Indians, they were amazed by Lizzie's red hair, kept wanting to touch it. One young Indian, who spoke English, called her Fire Girl. She liked that. July 6th, light rain. Went just eight miles, but saw scrubby pine trees. That gave hope that the desert would soon be behind us. Mr. Bunderley, still consumed by sadness, talks little. He is like a drum with a broken head. July 7th. In the afternoon, we crossed a stream called Bayou Creek. And in the distance, for the first time, we saw blue mountains. We stopped and stared, for it was not easy to grasp what we were seeing. Hard to know if they were close or far. Hard to know if we were close or far. July 8th. Continued along the riverside. At the end of the day, we saw Pike's Peak. Or at least so Mr. Boxler claimed. Our whole company thrilled. Lizzie said it looked like an immense thundercloud. But the skies above were brilliant blue. July 9th. Traveled all day. Mountains always to the rest, to the west, growing bigger. At first I saw what I believed were small white clouds against those mountains. Then it occurred to me that I might be seeing gold. My heart was in my eyes. Mr. Boxler disabused me by saying that what I saw was snow. Snow in July. Someone also said that while the mountains were now known as the Rocky Mountains, they used to be called the Shining Mountains. I liked that name better. It held more hope. We needed some. July 10th. Past ruins of Fort St. Rain, Sunday. Nobody wanted to stop. Last of the dried fruit gave out. Coffee almost gone. The river was pretty. Many little islands. A fair number of trees. I thought they were willow. Sky so blue, it made my eyes ache. At campfire, 
The only talk was what people would do with the gold they found. No talk about how they would find it. July 11th, still in Nebraska, reached Fort Lupton, which, being abandoned for a reason I didn't know, was in complete neglect. Skies blue, I had never seen such white clouds. Each day, late afternoon, they towered the heavens. Against the far horizon, you could see rain falling like a distant veil. In the west, you could see farther. Having no boundaries, even distance feels different. July 12th, when we camped for the night, we knew that next day we would pass the border that marked the divide between the Nebraska Territory and the Kansas Territory. Growing excitement. We were so close to our great purpose, the gold of Cherry Creek. Though I'd pined for our travels to be over, I was more nervous than ever. For once we were there, what would I find?